Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Thank you for joining the conversation on Colloquium. This episode is brought to you by Excelsior Capital, an investment platform focused on democratizing private equity by providing individuals access to direct opportunities. To learn more about the firm, please visit excelsiorgp.com and connect with Brian on LinkedIn. Hello and welcome to the conversation on Colloquium. Today I've got Ron Lovett on with me today, who we actually first connected through some family office uh, networking events, right? I think at the beginning of the pandemic, frankly, it was, I think, one of the first times I ever did a webinar and you were the, you were the MC DJ. And so it's fun to kind of bring it full circle and have you on the show. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you're playing it forward, right? I, I interviewed you and you, uh, yeah, you were part of a panel with a few other very successful uh, real estate entrepreneurs and I had a lot of fun and I appreciate you having me back uh, on your show to uh, drop in and, and talk shop. Lots of fun. Yeah, absolutely. And as two real estate people, I think we'll have a lot to talk about. I think your space is actually exceedingly interesting with everything happening at least in the States. I don't know about the state of play in Canada, but I'm sure we'll get into it. Before we kind of get into the, to the meat of it, Maybe give background because your your story and your your journey as an entrepreneur is fascinating. So maybe give a little bit of background on your gig before you got into the real estate space. Yeah, I'll give you the fast tracked version. So, born and raised east coast of Canada, you know Halifax, Nova Scotia, which is you know it, it'd be like the the nephew of Dublin, Ireland, right? If Boston and Ireland had a baby, it'd be Halifax, Nova Scotia. You know, typical upbringing, single mother, you know, my father was from Florida, uh, met later on in life. And, and so I was, uh, you know, uh, I would say an entrepreneur at heart, always looking to make a buck. And, and long story short, when I was 18, 19, I started to work at nightclubs. So I was a doorman. I was training Brazilian jiu-jitsu under the Gracie's, you know, I was going down to New York and training under Henzo and training here in head box and done different things. And, you know, I kind of thought, look, you know, I'm, 
I can handle myself. That's, that would be a good career for me. And I, I actually thought it was going to be executive protection. I'd be a good bodyguard, you know? And so I started in nightclubs, you know, just me with a metal detector, a few of my friends. And of course that started to scale. You would blink and, you know, after year one, we're doing 12 nightclubs and you blink and you're doing 25 nightclubs and you blink and you're doing 350 guards at a Rolling Stones concert and you blink and then you're on tour with the Rolling Stones. And so over the course of 16 years, I grew that company to, you know, in the summer, we would have over 3,000 employees full and part-time because we'd have concerts, we'd have three, 400 staff, 12 hours, you know, you'd hire, uh, you'd scale up for 12 hours and they were gone. So really challenging industry, you know, command and control. And anyway, um, as the story goes in 2011, we expanded to the Olympics in Vancouver for 2010, did the whole, whole thing way above my pay grade and uh, punching way above the belt. Uh, we didn't win. I think we were $115 million bid and someone won it for 86 million out of Boston. And the following year, you know, I just didn't have focus, Brian. I just, I, I was, I, w- I was on tour with Jay-Z doing a junior high dance in Halifax and, and the Rolling Stones concert in, in Moncton, New Brunswick. And so we just didn't really, we, we, we really lacked focus. So that year I, I was a sole shareholder, 2011, I lost almost a million dollars. And, you know, um, I'm sure you've had dark nights. I certainly, that was a dark night for me to say, should I just, should I end this? This is just, you know, I've had a good run, but I don't, maybe this isn't worth it. And I believe that for those who can get out of the depths, sometimes we, we get our biggest aha moment. And for me, that was, you know, what if I had to restart this industry from scratch? You know, blank slate, blank slate, same question that I'm sure that, you know, Travis from Uber asked before he got into taxis. And so, so that question really goes along and says, okay, from the customer side, guard side, and my side as the owner, what are the key and what are the key challenges? And could I, could I create a model that would eliminate those challenges and still allow us to be profitable? So the two things that came out of that were decentralization models. So pushing all the autonomy down to frontline leaders and guiding them, build great systems, processes, and support. And the Starbucks slash Southwest Airlines culture in a space that was command and control. And those things, boom, we started the move. You know, I brought the company, we turned it around, grew 60% year over year. We're tracking double industry margins and then sold for a, a nice multiples, 24 times uh, to Allied Universal out of, out of California in 2017. And so the story ends with me trying to find the next toilet. What was the next industry? I'm not a technologist, but I love to look, go at old industries that no one's really innovated in and shake things up. And that was that C, B minus asset class. I just thought, look, that there's huge opportunity there. No one's really, you know, what I had seen, and I've been in real estate since I was 20 years old, just owning flats and triplexes and stuff like that. But when I started to poke around at that industry, you have... You know, it's 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 just managed typically through the PL. Charge as much as you can, whether you're rent a victor or whatever you do, your value add program, and keep as cost costs as low as you can. That's it, you know? And I thought, what a great industry to start poking around and and, and looking at things differently from a different point of view, which I love to do and flip it on its head. And so that's where where the company Vita was born. You know, you well, first off, the security storage is crazy to me <laughs> that you know, there was there not a dominant player in that space or was it just so, you know, ripe for innovation and, and somebody who was hungry to disrupt the, that industry? Before we get into the real estate, I, I want to- yeah, look, you know, I'll say ish. There's some huge dominant players, G4S, 8 billion, Garda, billions, you know, there's some big players. And I mean, uh, Allied Universal, I think there were four and a half billion when they uh, acquired me. I don't know what they are today, but they, they that was half the market cap of the U.S., but 
you know, I'll come back to this point of why did I exit? You know, I was having fun shaking things up. And, and, you know, when I sold the business, I wrote a book called Outrageous Empowerment, which is, you know, grab your popcorn and read. It's a great story, but it's very different than, than the real estate business. What I mean by that is everything's through RFP. The big contracts are requests for proposal or tenders. So, so you've, you've commoditized human beings. And I had a hard time with that, Brian. I just couldn't get my head wrapped around it as much as I was having fun the question to me, this, the, the, I was in the book, I talk about these different questions, you know, these aha moment questions. Well, the last one before I sold was, would I be excited to reinvest in the same industry I'm in today? And the answer was no. If you approach me and I was 50 years old, which I'm far away from, I'm 41, by the way, for those listening. Uh, and you said, hey, Ron, I want you to invest in my private security company. We're doing some cool stuff. Knowing what I know about the industry, the answer is no, I'm not doing it. Don't yeah, like great, the industry. That's yeah. a great question to ask yourself. Yeah. So, so, so yeah, there, there were lots of players, but I just didn't love the space overall. Got it. So let's transition into more of the real estate component here. Mm -hmm. This is, and I think it's a misunderstood term, workforce housing, affordable housing. Could you maybe mm -hmm. break it down for the listeners of, of what exactly you're talking about? So I will go to what you say, which is a, which is a more of an American term. It's funny because in Canada, we call affordable housing. And that, that's like, I've got a bad condensation to it. Like people just, it's, it's got a black spot on like, oh, affordable housing means it's government support. And only when I started to meet individuals in the US that I hear the term workforce housing. And that's exactly our customer. It is the work, it's, it's individuals at work and, and frontline workers and everywhere from, I'll call it blue to gray collar, right? And so you're talking from the electrician, plumber, carpenter to McDonald's frontline worker that's the, that's the gray. And so that is the customer. And, you know, it's, it's, it's very interesting because when I looked at that industry, that C asset class, you know, some, some, uh, especially here, we bought some assets in some very challenging places and th there was really four components missing, right? These weren't safe assets. They're, they weren't the fob entry of commercial buildings, downtown or new development. And I've got a security background. Some lacked cameras or they'd have a half assed, uh, you know, system. They weren't clean, not really clean, you know, no clean, not clean inside and outside, no community, no amenities, no sense of community, no community rooms and no opportunity, which seems very unorthodox, but I think it makes sense in this space. And so I wanted to, we, we started to pilot things, high-end security system. And my, you know, my first building was 12 units three years ago, just under Actually, this was five. I rewind a little bit. And I, I went in with the rough and tough, Ron Lovett, I'm going to kick some butt, pay your rent or get out. And then I thought, you know, we should be taking a page out of our own book and asking that question. What if you had to restart this industry, this workforce housing industry, the C asset class? And that's what brought me those, you know, those four pillars, I'll call them, which run our business. That's a foundation of our business. And so we leaned into those, piloted them. And we knew we were onto something and thought, look, we're onto a business here. And then the last piece was, you know, building a brand, you know, and Vita is the Spanish uh, word for lifetime. And, and I haven't seen a category King. I haven't seen a Google. I haven't seen an Apple American express in the space and I'm going to build it, you know? And um, I think that's important. Most people, they buy an asset and it's the asset come rent at 121 William street. And maybe there's a soft brand. I'm going to build a brand. And, and, and I think that's key before we get into the brand though, I want to talk a little bit more about the problem. I love hearing about businesses that it's not ego driven. It's not purely metric driven, but you're solving a problem in yeah. that ecosystem itself. So what is the problem today in workforce yeah. housing? 
I think that you have two things. I think mostly for workforce housing, these are places where people need to live because that's all they can afford. Either that or they go up market and they can barely make the rent payment, you know? And so the question for me was, could we create a place that has that that is safe, clean, secure, has a strong sense of community, and could where people were proud to live, proud and and have and and so how do you get them proud, you know? And and I will say, you know, I'm t- I'm running the same playbook as I did when I built the security company, no mid-level management. And so I'll get back to model later. But when I say proud, one of the things what we do is we tap into the collective tenants to do soft skilled work, not just at at the asset level. So I'm not just talking about painting, uh, drywalling, you know, cleaning. Uh, I'm talking about the business. We connect them to Vita. We have tenants that do social media, admin work, customer service calls, uh, rent collections. And so we tap them in for projects because the idea back to proud is how do we create an environment where people actually get ahead? Like what's good for us is good for them. If they can get ahead through working on the asset, have a sense of pride and ownership and connect to Vita the business, they are in, they're in with our business. You know, we, we just have a, a tenant that came on last week to do our quarterly newsletter our investment newsletter and community newsletter. And, and we pay them to do that. And so it's a very different model. I'm running the same playbook I did when I, when I looked at my past business with the security guards, you know, I, I, I don't want to go off tangent here. I think this connects back Brian, but you know, in Vancouver, we could have a security guard that was at a construction site, you know, just walking around writing reports, but he or she was, was from India and they were an accountant and they, they had much more diverse skills than what we were supplying to them at work. And so I believe through my experience that a lot of businesses like workforce housing, uh, the, 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 the customer in there have untapped potential that we're not tapping into. And so as unorthodox as it sounds, I wanted to tap into that in as tenants, not just as employees as I've done in the past. And so we, of course, are, you know, we gather some of that data. And today we have 22% of our tenants do some type of work for Vita, the asset or the, 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 the business. It's a very different model and it's working. That's remarkable. And, and I don't know the, the stats or the, or the studies off the top of my head, but I do know that in the States, what's called Section 8 housing, right? Subsidized housing. When you provide some kind of ownership interest to those tenants, the, the pride that they you know, engender within them and how it reflects into the actual physical structures themselves, how they, how they maintain them and keep them up. It's a remarkable shift in mindset and, and, it, and it shows. So I think there's a lot of validity to the investment thesis. Yeah. And, you know, it is perspective, right? And I'll talk about how I like to look at old businesses and flip them on their head. And what I say to our team is, look, yes, foundationally, we might be in the real estate business, providing someone a safe, secure place that's affordable to live. But if we go into the cruise ship business, what else are we doing for the customer? That's just a customer. And if that's one thing or two things we're doing for them, what else can we do for them? And that's a very different business. If you really just lean in and say, that's a customer. Um, and that's where I believe we'll win short and long term. So I think we understand the problem. Maybe unpack a little bit more about the solution that you provide yeah. and how the, how the branding fits into that solution. Yeah. I, I mean, I just think it's to what you're talking about, Brian, is connecting to the person, getting them to have ownership and building communities. You know, when I first started to acquire these buildings, they were really unsafe. You'd, you'd have 
someone who had the keys from, from 10 years ago, because I can tell you if the tenant left, there's no audit system to make sure that they, they, they that uh, you could take those old keys back. They could still get in the building, not to say it's happening all the time, but it happens. And so you had families where they would just put their head down, get to the unit and, and get back. And so, you know, that's a problem. They were not clean outside and inside. I mean, when I bought this 12 unit building, there was people throwing diapers out of the window. The halls were not clean. And so how could you have a sense of pride if your place is a dump, you know, no community space. It's if you look at, you know, our buildings are, are typically wood framed. It could be from 12 to 60 units plus or minus. And there's, they weren't built with community spaces. There was no amenities. That is not how people think about that. So we are incredibly creative to solve that problem and say, okay, what can we do with the space? And when I say, what can we do? We will actually take a one bedroom, convert it to a bachelor to put a gym in a building. That is counter to what most landlords think. They're like, that's a closet. Could we stick a bedroom in the closet? You know, we are the opposite. There's a nook on the top of the stairwell. That should be a library. Make it a library. So we're very strategic and creative with how do we solve that problem. And, and then the last, of course, the pillar of opportunity is just getting people involved. And so, of course, we use technology to push out information. If we have a small job, a project, we'll push it out. We give the community first right of refusal. Think about that. Because we have so many people, we don't know what these people's skills are, what they do, or what their passions are, or how much time they have. And that changes so frequently. So we push out to the community and say, hey, we've got this newsletter opportunity. Boom. Three tenants reach out and say, we'd love to talk to you about that. We have a discussion, talk about outcomes, compensation. Boom. We move. And uh, it's, it's a great, you know, we're solving lots of problems. Because I think based on the study, based on my experience, those were the four key areas of the place. And, and, and of course, you know, the affordability, we're not rent evictors. We buy based on the current cash flow. We're not, we don't make bets, you know, and, and uh, I don't want to make bets. Those bets also take the affordable stock away. I know I'm not, I'm not saying it shouldn't happen, but it does. And uh, we just don't do that. We drive value and, and in different ways. So let's segue into that. Talk about the business model, what the plan is. It sounds like you've been, you know, personally off your own balance sheet, doing some of this on your own, you're yeah. about to expand and, and pretty aggressively scale this business. Mm-hmm. What does that investment thesis look like and how does a business plan play out to it? Yeah. So the business plan is, is different and, and I'll go back to, it took me a long time to decentralize what I had and, and, and to think, how do I scale this business? We had so many human beings work for the company. So, so the foundation becomes systems, processes, technology, data-driven decisions. And, you know, I'll, I'll start with that too, Brian, this industry for the most part, it's back of a napkin. A lot of families have 50 to 300 units. It's back of a napkin. It's not data-driven decisions. But back to the model, we have what's called a live-in building ambassador because typically what I also saw in the industry as I entered was the resident manager, the superintendent, whatever the lingo is for that role could run anywhere from 50 to 120 units. And they clean and they manage and maybe there's a couple and they're, they're, they're handy. But I, I think that they have an expiration date. And what I mean by that is it reminds me of the old operations managers in my security business. They were running and gunning and moving and phones rang so much. The volume was so big. They just blew their brains out and, and they would quit. They had, a, they had a 24-month expiry date. And I've seen this in this, you know, in the multifam space and in, in these asset classes. And so I'm following the same playbook. We have building ambassadors. That's our. That's the term that we use, which is superintendent, resident manager, whatever you want to call it. 
that live in the buildings. They have to live in each specific building. So a 12 unit has a resident manager, a, a building ambassador. They manage the other 11. And if they don't want to clean the unit, we hire another tenant that will clean that will clean the building. And so, you know, for the same 120 units, we would have eight or nine individuals. Now, look, these people work full time. They have other jobs. They do this as I'll call a side hustle. They do it on the side and they do it to make an impact in their own communities. And when I say communities, I'm talking about the building. We call those communities. So everybody gets to get ahead. It, it, it fits with the theme of just helping people get ahead because the compensation isn't massive, but they have the autonomy. You know, we teach them about this business. How does the business work? What is their, where do they impact the business? Not just operationally, but financially. And then we create systems, processes, and tools that they would have the autonomy to hire contractors. They, most, uh, you know, we have single mothers that have never picked up a hammer before. We're more concerned about the soft skills. We'll build systems and processes. And then, you know, the other thing that is right out of our last playbook is because we don't have property managers, we put these individuals into pods or groups that meet once a month and they talk about their challenges. We build relationships with them so they can say, hey, you know, I've got a challenge with a tenant and Brian, you'd say, oh, I've already dealt with that. Here's what I do in that situation. And we have online formats through Workplace. And so you have, have this collective knowledge where we get out of the way. We have to support them, build systems, processes, train them and hold them accountable. And, it, you know, it's a, I'm really proud. I think we're doing the right thing. And, and it comes with a ton of challenges. We are not following a regular playbook, but that's where I do well. You know, it's, it's in our company values is leaning into uncharted territory, loving it, going back to the drawing board all the time and not being afraid of the unknown. I love that. And it would seem like the vetting application process would be paramount into finding the right people. And there's going to be folks that just aren't a fit for this. And I would encourage people, uh, when you listen to this, reach out to me or at the end, we'll provide some content information. But Ron gave me the, the deck beforehand and he's got some really cool videos that kind of show how this application system works. But maybe for the listeners, kind of walk us through mm -hmm. what that looks like. Yeah, so, so I'm going to go back to my history uh, being private security, right? So, so the history of what we used to do is... We, would, we didn't have brick and mortar offices. When I got to that aha moment, we really, you know, we had to use technology to support the business. And so we used an applicant tracking system. And so we used one that we, not off the shelf, but we used one that we could build out questions to give us data to make the right decisions and, and do it through a technology and then shortlist and then we would make the final decisions. And, and then what we did is built out questions based on the outcomes of what we were looking for in the guards and the outcomes of what the, uh, what our culture uh, required of them. And so two examples of that really quickly, and I'll get to the app because it, it ties into where we are today, but outcome for the customer, great customer service. That's what our customers wanted. And so the attribute is empathy. And so our screening process for the security guards was, was someone empathetic? If they weren't, we didn't even look at them. We like to change as a business. That's a cultural uh, attribute now. Uh, you know, continuous improvement, you need to be able to change. And so we would screen for change. How did they change in their personal lives? What changes they make in business? Could they lead change, follow change? So you get where I'm going with that. That would, that, that, that changed my business. We had the right people coming on board and then we would onboard them train. Well, with Vita, it's the same thing. You know, the industry does credit checks, background checks. 
That's that, that is the industry that be down. That's what they do. Where's the last three places you live, Brian? And how much money do you make? And sure. And, and I agree with the income. We certainly, we, we spend a lot of time on the income. The other stuff we don't, we actually use an ATS and we screen for those pillars. How important Brian is community to you where the application actually starts to tell us about yourself. Who are you today? Uh, tell us about your family. Where are you headed in life? Because we want to know that you want to get ahead. That's actually important to us because we want to tap into you as a resource and see that there's alignment within the community. That question alone turns 32% of our tenants away. 32% drop-off rate, not of our tenants, but drop-off rate for potential mismatches where people say, that is a stupid, that is none of your business and it's stupid. Great. Go find somewhere else to live. No worries. You know, where others lean into it, they're like, oh, that's a, I've never had that question. I'm excited about this question. So think about that, even as it, from a user experience and alignment standpoint, and then the questions go on and they ask questions about safety. How important is safety to you? How important is community uh, as discussed? Cleanliness, show us a picture of your current home. Where do you live? Give us a virtual tour. Like we, 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 we inspect what we expect. And so from there you get scored. And one of the last things that, 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 that does drive in and scoring is, hey, Brian, tell us about your skills. Do you paint? Do you clean? What else can you do? And are you interested in a few things? Are you interested in participating in community activities? Are you interested in running them? Are you interested in us tapping into your skills for side jobs? Are you interested in being a, a leader in the community? And that also plays into scoring. And so that's how we look at the data to say, hey, hey, Brian, we've got this small paint job coming up. I'm not talking about major uh, work that requires warranties. We're talking small repair maintenance. And so we'll typically put out jobs for 65% of what a contractor would charge. And we have a whole process around that. And and that allows the community members to participate, make some extra capital on the side and and everybody wins. I mean, because don't forget a business problem is that the cost of uh, repair and maintenance in this industry, right? It, it It can be large. So we're just trying to have a full cycle model and the application design, to your point, is absolutely critical. I mean, anybody in this space knows you get the wrong tenant uh, and you're in trouble. You can be in big trouble. And so we certainly have spent a lot of time, strategy, have experience, and have the IP around that. And let's piggyback on top of that concept because this space obviously is, you know, maybe cliche, but, you know, known to a lot of folks as kind of slumlords or, or maybe people who, to your, you alluded to it earlier, kicking people out for non-rent, grinding people down, grinding the, the assets down. You're obviously focused on creating community, but how do you create that trust between tenant and landlord? Yeah, great question, because that's one of the biggest challenges. You know, you have people in some cases uh, that all they could afford was the, the, the you know, the government stock of affordable housing where then they, they just call the media in some markets. It's, it's so bad. They'll call building inspectors or the media when there's a problem because nobody moves. And, and there are, unfortunately, there's some great landlords, but there are some slumlords and they just don't, they squeeze every dime from the property. BS appraisals just to squeeze every dime from the bank. And, you know, and it's unfortunate. And so building trust is a challenge for us because we don't get it in the application process. So, so then what happens is when you come on as a Vita tenant, uh, a few things happen. One, you're given a welcome basket. And that welcome basket has all the little odds and sods of things that you probably don't have on you today. It could be a scrubber and a, a, a paper towel. It has a plunger. Uh, it has some things that typically you wouldn't, you, you wouldn't see in these things. Usually people are probably doing a box of chocolates. 
Uh, we want to add value day one. They'll have a t-shirt for branding. Uh, and then the onboarding, they're given a video similar to the ones you saw. I don't know if it was in the deck, but uh, it's on our YouTube channel where you're going to see me talking about the business, where it came from, where we're headed, how they participate, the business model, i.e. Brian, you know, if you call us on a Saturday afternoon to get a plumber to plunge the toilet, the, the, the cost is going to be $250 to $350, but someone has to pay for that. And unfortunately, that someone's you. Use the plunger. Talk to a neighbor. We really want the community. I always go back to the self-check-in approach. How do you get the customer to solve a lot of their problems for themselves? You know, we are now in the midst of, of building our own video libraries. So a tenant could go on and be like, oh, I have this problem. And through our LMS, they could say, how do you solve that? Um, because we want them to know the more you solve problems, the costs stay lower, that money goes back in your pocket because R&M costs are low. And so it's this full ecosystem that we're trying to lean into and, and get right. You know? Do you consider this a, a double bottom line business where you're doing good and doing well? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. And I haven't heard that term double bottom line, but it makes sense. And so what I would say is I, I always called it the golden triangle, you know, to me, which I didn't have in security. And what, what that means to me is it's a fairly safe asset class, right? We're buying it. We have to buy right. We don't overpay for, for buildings, but we have a lot of leverage. There's a lot of product on the market. And so we gain leverage when you walk into the table. And I like that. So asset backed, great cash flow. And social impact. You know, I, I probably I wouldn't have got in this business if it maybe just had the social impact. You know, I'm probably not there financially, but it is a nice thing to know that we are adding value to people's lives. I mean, we, you know, I've got an interview with a tenant after this, which will be on our, our social media pages. You know, we do these themes, we call them contests. And this tenant won a thousand dollars free rent for for entering a contest. And and for those folks that are trying to get ahead, this is a big impact. You know. We just had releases that we, we entered Winnipeg market, that's Western Canada. And we, we wanted to, to, you know, lean into this whole concept and push the, you know, really um, pick our game up. And so we went out to the market and said, hey, if you're a Vita tenant, if you're a student, we'll pay off of last $500 of your student loan. We, if you get a raise at work, we'll give you a rent credit. If you buy a new car, if, if you get a new car, buy a first vehicle, we'll also give you a rent credit. If you move and buy your first home, we'll celebrate. We'll cancel your lease and help pay for the move. I mean, these are things that people are like, whoa, 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 what's going on here? And I wanted to go back to trust, Brian, because I think the pandemic was scary for us, right? And so if I may, I wanted to, to, to just itch at this for a second because I think everybody was like, what's going to happen with rents? What is going to happen? And our team got around and we said, whoa, you know, it's one of our biggest challenges. We should lean in now. And so what we did we of course have a robust communication platform. We reached out to everybody and said, hey, instead of searching on Facebook, what's going on with COVID-19, let us be the source of information. So we started to push out information from the government. We started to own the information and push it out. That was kind of step one, where people were like, oh, I'm gonna wait for my Vita update. That's interesting. Step two was, okay, people are just started to get some trust here. Let's start to deliver value. And so we would say, hey, if you're uh, in isolation, uh, here's some games you can play with your family. Here's some inexpensive meals you can cook. If money's tight for you right now, here's how you can make hand sanitizer with your, you know, here's a homemade recipe. We just started to deliver value. And then the third thing we thought, how do we do a contest now? What are we going to do? We do these, we call them themes or, or community contests. And we had a lip sync contest. 
that we said, if you're isolated with your family, send in a lip sync video and, and you'll find this on our YouTube page, Vita Living, and you'll see me pushing these videos out and getting involved and having fun. I don't take myself too seriously. And we'll always set the contest goal. If we get X amount of entries, we'll draw for a prize of Y. And we had, I think we set at 50. We had, I think, 75 entries. We drew for $1,000 as well. We had so many people doing lip sync contests, having fun with their families. I mean, it, it, look, we certainly have a different approach to this business, which is unorthodox. To some, it probably sounds outright crazy. But I can tell you the value that that, you know, and, and there's the value that gives to the individuals. And of course, for our business, our rent collections actually are, are our, our late collections decreased by 3.5% from, from February to March. I mean, we, we, we're seeing the outcomes of some of these initiatives, and it's great. Let's talk a little bit more about kind of the, the underlying business plan here. We, we all hear about the lack of affordable housing, the lack of single-family housing. I saw the other day, and I posted about it on LinkedIn, I think in America, as of a week ago, there were only 350,000 actionable listings for homes today. So so clearly there's a lot going on in that space. How does this business make money and what is the investment thesis? Talk to us about kind of the cycle on the investment side. Yeah. So, so I think it starts with what I said earlier, we have to buy right. You know, we don't make bets. We're not rent evictors. We're not going in each unit and, and doing that song and dance. I think there's a ton of people doing that. Some are doing a great job and some are getting caught. And I know they're getting caught because we're acquiring their buildings that they got caught on the wrong bet. You know, the banks are foreclosing and we're buying it through the Deloitte's or Ernst & Young. And, and so there's opportunity there. Um, and so, so we buy based on today's cash flow. We want to make sure that that day one, the, the, the building cash flows. And so to do that, you need patience because not every deal does that. You know, I think a lot of real estate deals that happen, the the buyer has to be super creative with how they're going to pull off this magical uh, recipe and some do fabulous jobs of it. I'm, I'm de-risking that because the purpose of revolutionize affordable communities has to be in play. And that purpose is keeping a handcuff on me. And so, you know, we'll buy assets. We'll buy, you know, we'll put 25, 35% down on the asset. Typically it's bridge financing. And so it would be interest only to a, you know, in Canada, it would be a CMHC takeout, you know, so, so we'd refinance that asset within typically most of our refinance are happening 24 months or before where we do gain back our original capital. Our net operating income has increased enough, slight increase in rents, lowering the operating expenses that we can certainly pull out that equity and we move forward. And so, so that's, that's essentially the business model. When we do our underwriting, it's not just underwriting the asset to make sure it's cash flow positive. What returns can we provide? And when we do our takeout, will we continue to be cash flow positive? That's very important. I think some people just keep betting on the equity takeouts and hoping that that cash flow or, or that cash injection pays for uh, some of the business. And so what's, what's the plan? I, I, it seems oh. like you've got you know, a, a good thing going. You've been using your own balance sheet. Yeah. Clearly, you've learned a lot of lessons on the way you've iterated on this investment thesis and you're hoping to scale. What's yeah. next for you? So, so, you know, uh, so we've got 600 and change units across Canada. So the idea was let's, let's prove out the model in the backyard. Now let's go across Canada. And, and, you know, so, so I mentioned we bought our, our last, it was 280 units right before Christmas, which was great. Uh, 200 in the province of New Brunswick here and, and 80 in, in Manitoba, Winnipeg. And we had to buy them over zoom. And so it was like, let's do this. Let's, let's, let's get it right. And so 
From there, we've proven out the model. It's time to move. And so we're looking at uh, some deals in the US. We, I think this year, Brian, 2021, our goal is to try to hit 2,000 units. So there's a few uh, portfolios in Canada that are 1,000 units coming out. And we've got, we were having great conversations with capital partners that are saying, hey, this is great. You know, we can buy safe assets, have cash flow, part, and participate in changing people's lives. And so that is our overall uh, thesis. And the plan is to get to 10,000 units in five years or under. And I'm very confident we can do that. And, and I think our advantage here too, which probably plays a little bit to my background is, is scale. You know, a lot of folks that are even dabbling in this space can only buy in their backyard. I'm in Atlanta and I just buy, I'll get to about a thousand, I run out of stock. Our systems and processes, the playbook allows us to play uh, not in our backyard. And I know at 10,000, where I live in Halifax, Nova Scotia, we might only own three, 400 units here. And it'll be, it'll be across North America. And, and then we hope to, and I hope as a sole shareholder today to go globally with this. I really think that to your point, affordable places to live is a global problem, right? That are safe, clean, et cetera. And, and when I talk, you know, I'm involved in, you know, entrepreneurs organization and different organizations. And when I talk to my peers about this, they're like, oh, this would be so good. And it doesn't matter if they're in Mexico City or Copenhagen, they really love the model. And what does the investment vehicle look like? Are you planning on raising a fund? You know, if folks listening are interested in learning more about how yeah. to involved potentially. This is the biggest debate that we have, right? And I've got, you know, it's a new new area for me and you're right, it's been my own capital to date, but it's time I won't be able to carry the company forward as, as it will be time to raise capital. You know, look, in a perfect world, and of course they would say, here's what you know, here's what you don't know, here's what you don't know, here's what you know that you don't know. And I don't know <laughs> if I'm getting that right, I'm dyslexic. Anyways, I don't, I'd rather not go to public markets and not build a fund or read. I would actually like to do private capital. I, I really, in a perfect world, I find um, the right partners, as I believe some are at the table today, family offices, high net worth individuals that say, hey, let, let's get this and get it right. And then let's build a really big business. And uh, that can provide the growth capital to do that. That would be, um, I think that's the, the, the place that, that we should be. And, and one of those reasons for that, uh, I have friends that are in the public markets in different spaces and they have two jobs. You have to raise money all the time and you have to run your business. Well, you get half and half. You're not going to do one as, as good as the other. I don't care what anyone says. I don't want the second job. I want to I be the best of the business. And if I'm going to own the space and own the category, I don't need the, the, the busyness and the second job. I really would like the right partners that say, okay, we've got that end of the, that side of the fence. You focus. And it, it seemed like from, from the presentation, and I won't hold you to this, but that there was some current cash flow component, plus obviously some appreciation and then eventually some kind of liquidity event. Is that accurate? Well, accurate in the fact that we sold some assets here during the pandemic. And, and back to you don't know what you don't know. We had some, you know, some clusters of six and eight, you know, six unit buildings, Brian. And we just found that they didn't work in our model. That live-in building bastard, there wasn't enough at a six unit. And so, you know, we also wanted to be full cycle uh, on our thesis, which means that you know, you can, you can fool someone with a bullshit appraisal pretty quickly. I mean, it happens all over the place. But when you sell, when you actually sell an asset, then you crystallize what you've done. And so we bought stuff at 50,000 a door and sold in under 24 months at 75 to 
95 to 100,000 a door. We've crystallized it. And I think what you're talking about is, I believe maybe what was sent over to you showed that crystallization to say, hey, this isn't just BS from an appraiser who, we, who was a good buddy of ours. We've actually sold assets and out of strategy and focus because they didn't work for our model. Because I think the other thing that I've seen is people are buying assets to buy assets. It's unit count, unit count, you know? I don't want to get caught. I really want to be strategic about this. Well, it sounds terrific. And, and I think it's a much needed, you know, I think people need exposure to this asset class and you seem like you're doing good for the community as, as well as doing some, you know, good on the investment side. How can people get in touch with you? What's, I know you're very active on the socials, but what's the best way if people are curious to connect with you, learn more about the opportunities that, how can they uh, reach out? Yeah, look, if, if someone is interested in having a discussion, LinkedIn is the best place to find me. I have a website, ronlovett.ca, I believe. Could be .com, I don't even know. You know, I do some speaking, mostly on the people culture side. You know, I've got a second book coming out called Scaling Culture and a Masterclass. You know, I think you, to build a business, you need to build a great culture. I, you know, I believe in culture eats strategy for breakfast. If you don't have the right people engaged doing the right things, you can't execute on strategy. And so, so that's an ADHD um, rant, but LinkedIn is the best way to find me uh, and, and Ron Lovett at rflgroup.ca, uh, which I think is on my LinkedIn profile, but you're right. I'm active on there. And if someone wants to reach out that or my personal website, ronlovett.ca is the best way to get me. And, and before we finish out here, any words of wisdom of, of what you've learned on the way? And, and I would love to actually hear the lessons you learned from your first security business, how you're applying to this entrepreneurial journey. Because, you know, I think it's always more interesting to learn from the mistakes mm. than it is talking about the successes. Totally. I, I think some of them I've been talking about, right? So the strategies we're applying are based on mistakes that I made. So the application process is, we it was detrimental. Right out of the gates, it was you know, non-data driven. And that's what I used to be in the security world, just put a bum in a seat and it was detrimental. We'd lose a customer. I'm, I've learned in my past business and I'm, I'm bringing that, that lesson forward, tapping into untapped potential. I mean, we all have employees that we just are like, oh, well, Brian's uh, the accountant, just do accounting. But what else do you do? Maybe you make videos with your children on the weekends and you would love to do that. We have all this untapped potential around us. That was a big mistake that I didn't see that for 10 years. And especially I was in the workforce housing space. That, that, was, my, that was my employee. And so, you know, was, I, I'm not ashamed. That might be a strong word, but I should have known better. And now, and now I'm doubling down to do that in the community. And then looking at things from a different perspective. You know, I, I talked about this concept of these are customers and what else we, can we do for the customer? We really, I made the mistake in my previous business of just saying, we just provide security. That's all we do. It's an asset. We give them a security guard. That's very, very short-sighted. And I think that I've crossed over and I'm doing the complete opposite. And then the last is culture, right? You know, my, uh, the, the subtitle of my first book, Outrageous Empowerment, was, you know, this, the incredible story of giving people their brains back. Not that they didn't have brains, but we t- I took it from them. Brian, press the button and here's your 11 bucks an hour and, and you'll be done your 12-hour shift and then you go back and do your another shift again. You better look clean and for, for when you show up. That is, that is nothing to do with me giving, you know, it's time to give you your brain back. What else can we do? You know, how can we work together? How can we collaborate? Uh, what other resources do you have and, and skills that we can tap into? Those are four key lessons, Brian, that I, I, I wish I had known earlier. Um, it took me a while. I fell on my face a lot and, 
And uh, I'm excited to be back on, on your podcast, maybe in two years and, and have four different lessons because I'm still <laughs> learning every day. Yeah. I get my teeth kicked in on a pretty consistent basis. So yeah. uh, eating humble pie is a, is a pretty powerful thing as an entrepreneur. Well, Ron, mm-hmm. thank you for joining us. It's been tremendous. You know, I've gotten to know you over the last year now, which is crazy to think about because it seems like it's gone fast, but you do some incredible things, both on kind of the corporate culture side, as well as on the, through the entrepreneurs uh, organization, et cetera. So I definitely encourage people to reach out and thank you so much for joining us. Best of luck with the new venture and uh, look forward to staying in touch. Thanks, Brian. And I, I didn't mention, but we do have a scaling culture podcast. And so we have the best and brightest from Zoom, uh, entrepreneurs, thought leaders, Southwest Airlines, all the companies that you can't get behind the scenes on. And so I would encourage folks that if you, if you are interested in culture, that's a great way to get some beautiful nuggets of the how to, you know, up your culture in your company, in your organization today. So scaling culture podcast. Thanks, Brian. We'll check it out. Thanks, Ron. Thank you for joining the conversation on Colloquium. If you enjoyed what you heard in this episode, please like, rate, or leave us a review. And stay tuned for our next episode coming soon. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.